My name is Rashad. I'm Brandon. I'm Vidi. I'm Rihanna. And this, this is Learning Boldly. This is Learning Boldly. This is Learning Boldly. You are now tuning in to a special edition of the Learning Boldly podcast featuring Miss Barbara Ewing, class of 1967, and Steel Youth's first black graduate. Miss Ewing shared so much wisdom, so much guidance, so much insight from her time at TLU, from her time growing up in Seguin, Texas, that it warranted its own episode. So now let's get into it. Learning boldly. <laughs> so yes, I'm a native Seguinite. Uh, that being said, I attended uh, Seguin High School from 61 to 63 as a lone student of color uh, and then TLC uh, and then Southwest Texas uh, State and then San Jose State uh, where I took the second master's and doctoral studies at University of California at San Francisco. And I was the first black of any type, uh, male or female, on the Seguin City Council when I was 28 years old. Okay, I'll start with the beginning. Um, how I got there was really quite amazing because um, I was at uh, Seguin High and of course integration happened uh, in the Seguin Independent School District from 12th grade, then the following year was 11th grade and so forth and so on. And you may already know this, but it's important, it's relevant to what I have to say, is that um, they decided that they would do it that way. Um, and I won't comment as to what I think the reason was, but it became a choice thing because um, uh, I had attended all of the uh, Ball High Lizzie Burgess uh, schools, the segregated schools, and my mother, uh, by the way, who had only a sixth grade education but wise beyond her classroom um, knowledge, was working at the cafeteria at Seguin High during um, 58, 59, 60, like that. And she had gotten to know the campus in some of the teachers and, and so forth. And she, the story that she told me is that she went to the library one day to visit a friend of hers who worked in the library. And um, she had been to the library at Ball High School. And in her mind, they were certainly separate, but they were not equal. And she had the occasion to come over to ball for whatever reason and um, she waited for me until school was out and she said to me on our walk home because we didn't have a car i come from very humble beginnings we didn't have a car so on my walk home she said to me um, i believe that next year uh, I choose for you to attend Seguin High School. Well, I'm just devastated. It's like, this is all I know, all my friends, you know, the whole mantra of, of what a child who's uh, 15 years old would say. 
I didn't argue with her because during my generation, you did not argue with your elders. And so we got home and uh, we had a little discussion about it. And so I said, okay, this was early spring. So preparations were made for me to attend Seguin High School as um, an incoming uh, sophomore. So I went and she told me three things. First of all, do the best that you can do. Don't let what people say about you or to you change who you know you are. And the third thing was, if someone calls you a nigger, it's just a word. And you're going to have to live with that uh, for the time being. For right now is what actually what she said. So come September, here I go off to school. And I live across the tracks. So I walk from there to the high school. It's about three miles every single day. And had some <laughs> trepidations and some, you know, anxiety. But hold your head up high no matter what. Never let them see you sweat, right? I got suspended from Seguin High School for five days. As I was in this teacher's class and he told the class, it's okay to sit next to Lee. Uh, that black nigger color won't rub off on you. And I called him a white son of a bitch. And I got sent home. And my mother wanted to know what a sixth grade education to the principal. Well, what happened to the teacher? Of course, he didn't tell her. Nothing happened to the teacher. Um, so fast forward to uh, my senior year. I always made the honor roll and did this in National Honor Society and all of that stuff. So because I was unique in that, I made the paper one day. My picture was pasted all over the Seguin Gazette. So fast forward to me being a senior, you know how they call you out, uh, the councils would call you out and talk about your future and give you some uh, tests and this and that and the other. But the best that they thought I could do in that world, beauty school, some type of clerical job, et cetera, et cetera. So I went home and I told my mother what was happening at school and she kept saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. Never commented on it. And then one of the counselors had sent uh, one of the representatives from the, the uh, uh, beauty school in San Antonio to my house. And she sat and listened to him and she looked at him and she said, no, Barbara is going to college. And I'm looking at her like, now you make $8 a day. At this time, then she started doing cleaning house and cooking for uh, the gentry uh, of Seguin and surrounding areas. And I didn't say anything. I just looked at her and the man said, oh, uh, where is she going to school? And she said, I don't know yet. God hasn't told me yet. Honest to God. And so when they left, I said, Mother, Mama, why would you say such a thing? You know we can't afford for me to go to school. She said, God will make a way. 
about a month later, um, two representatives from TLC came to Seguin High. I was pulled out of class and, and I didn't understand. I mean, couldn't wrap my head around it. And one of them says to me, we have decided that we want to give you a, an academic scholarship to Texas Lutheran. And I'm looking at him, not a facial expression by any means, but uh, I'm thinking in my head, he's got to be kidding. And he said, but um, we will, and this is key, and I hope you don't miss it. He says, well, you'll have to stay at, at home since you live in Seguin, but we'll pay for the books and the tuition and like that. No, no room and board. I want to ask you, do you know why they structured it that way? They didn't want you staying in the dorm. No, 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 no. They did not want me to stay in the in the dorm whatsoever. Uh, but which was fine. I mean, I, I, I'm a mama's baby anyway, and my mother cooks very well, And uh, but we didn't have a car. So from my house to TLC was quite the trek. To, to walk and, and um, my mother was very um, insistent that I never be late. And the other thing that she told me, now you're not gonna go out to that school and think you white, nor are you gonna be Lutheran. <laughs> okay, I was just telling you the facts. Uh, and so it became, it was just me. I mean, I was one of 1200. Uh, there were no other people of color. How, how was it? It was difficult. My cousin, um, Dorothy uh, Holmes Jarman, uh, worked in the cafeteria and she, and since she was 12 years old there at, at Texas Lutheran. She's seven or eight years older than I am, but she started as in, in the kitchen as a dishwasher and worked her way up to uh, cafeteria manager, but her story is that she was told that she could never come in the dining area when the students were in the dining hall. Are you following what, what I'm saying? So we're talking the time period between 1963 and 1967. You asked me to tell my story, so I'm giving you that because I used to travel with my church, the, the late Dr. Uh, uh, Bishop J.P. Stedman had invested in youth and he would take us all over the country because otherwise we wouldn't have, he'd put us in his Cadillac or uh, somebody else would drive their big car and we would, because we couldn't stay in the hotel so we'd have to stay on the side of the road, right? Uh, so we had to stop, go to the bathroom. Well, you walked into a colored only bathroom and it was filthy. So I'm curious. I go in the other one and it was clean. So I used that one. I come out and the attendant was very upset. Can't you read? Yeah, I can read. Well, y'all can't use that bathroom. I said, well, yeah, I could. It was all right. I just did. It happened more than once. City Park there in Seguin used to have whites only and, and coloreds only. Well, I'm not colored because black is the absence of color. White is the whole spectrum of the rainbow. So color didn't ever apply to me, I didn't think. So I drank from the white fountain, 
one that says white only water tastes the same but the fountain was clean the colors only you see people spitting in it and when they can reach it pee in it and i'm gonna drink from that fountain hello but they did it because they didn't want to make trouble right you sit in the back of the car because you didn't want to sit up front with the white person because neither, both of y'all be in trouble, right? That's what old people can t older people can tell you about those experiences. And I'm 75, so um, I was in Watts in 1965. They burning down the whole place and all of that, and he came riding through. It was almost like... Jesus on the donkey coming into Jerusalem to bring calm because he wasn't angry. Um, Dr. King was that kind of leader. He could say good morning and you thought, oh my God. We need that kind of leadership again and there, there you are. Young people of today, there you are. It, it was August and I was about to enter Texas Lutheran uh, College and it was hot uh, and I was there uh, for two days. Uh, but I stood in that, what seems like millions of people shoulder to shoulder, uh, no social distancing. Uh, it was, it set the course for the rest of my life because what he said instilled in me some basic principle. And I still live by the, a person should be judged by the, by the content of character, not the color of their skin. Speech-wise, it wasn't anything new, but uh, all I'm saying is all together there and to see people of, from, from everywhere sweltering in that heat with the same mission, uh, togetherness, it was, awe-inspiring. And there is something to the fact that love does conquer evil and all. And anger, and when anger takes control of you, you don't think right. In Georgia, when, when that person cleared his sinuses and spat in my face, I had to wipe it off and say, and I love you. How many of you could do that? So experiences that I have had, I hope you never have those overtly. But if you think about them, sometimes you probably have them where it's not so overt to you. It's not so obvious. I can honestly say I don't hate anybody. Hate hardens the soul and I want to get to glory land. But it can make you very, very upset. One-on-one, -on -one, student to student, it was never so bad for me because I had some allies. <laughs> and I would, you know, spend the night in the dorm with, with uh, uh, young women who um, wanted me to come to spend the night or help them with their studies or what have you. Uh, I had a friend named Gail, a little spoiled white girl from East Texas with lots of money. 
she was the only one among us who had a car. But her grandmother found out that we were friends. And her grandmother made it known to her that she didn't ever want to see this nigger in her room. And Gail told me, and I said, well, Gail, I don't want to create a, a schism between you and your grandmother. She said, oh, she's just old and, and bigoted. So perhaps times have changed, but have they really? But anyway, uh, I went to a play one night uh, and they were, the, the whites were in black, in, in blackface, in blackface. And I sat there for a few minutes and then I stood up and, and I didn't make, it, make myself known by saying anything. I just got up and I started walking out and somebody stopped me and said, well, why are you leaving? And I said, that's offensive. And they didn't understand that. They could not wrap their brains around that. But, but it's just what we do. And I said that, that that's part of the problem. That is the, the, the center, the nucleus of the problem is that you don't think anything about it because you don't know anything about my culture. I also had experience while I was there in a, in, a, in a philosophy class where the professor, we never did it by name, we did it by number, you know, when we took tests or whatever, and he was returning them. And my paper had an A plus on it, just the number. Uh, he said he would call the number and we'd get up and go get the paper. And I looked at it and everybody was looking at, oh, Ben, look what you got. And he said, my maiden name is Lee. He said, Lee, bring that paper back in front of 60, 70 kids. He said, bring that paper. I think I made a mistake. And he gave me a C plus. But I was undaunted by that. I went to the dean. I went to even the president of the, uh, of the college. And we had a, a talk about it and see if he will change his mind. And I said, if his mind was made up when he gave me the A plus, but when he, when he recognized that it was me in front of 60, kids, 60 students, he gives me a C plus. Um, so, okay, I took that, I, I, I took that. I said, you know, all right, I, I can do it. And with counsel from my mother and my, my church pastor and whole bunch of folk that got involved in the, in, in, in the conversation. Uh, so I graduated and then finding a job after that was difficult. I graduated in the spring of 67 and I didn't go to work until the fall, the, until January of 68, simply because my first interview was at Northeast Independent School District, went out there, it was, it's 1967, if you know your history at all. And my last name was Lee. My picture's not on my transcript, but I had very good grades. And I walked through the door and <laughs> I was almost ignored by the receptionist. And then when they called my name for the interview, 
I walked in and the, the first thing the, the human resources guy said was, we thought y'all was Chinese. And he just down front, down front told me that that district was not quite ready for one of us. Uh, and so I spoke with him um, with respect. And I said, seems like that's a problem for you, but it's not my problem. And he says, well, right now we don't have a position in your field. I said, but if you scheduled me for an interview, there must have been, right? And I said, well, tell you what, I'm pretty connected to the movement and uh, to the NAACP, et cetera, et cetera. So I will just turn it over to them and they can handle it. And he said, well, how about uh, you, you, you sub for us first to see how it goes? And I said, no, no, thank you. So I go home to my mother and I'm telling her the story and she said, Barbara, you don't want to work there anyway. You don't want to be miserable for a few more years, just people poking and prodding on you and you know, that kind of thing. So I ended up, I ended up in River Oak in Houston, the linear uh, was, was the junior high that they sent me to, but AJ Wheelian just made that happen. He saw me in the, in the supermarket and he said, Babs, what are you doing out of, aren't you working? And this was maybe, it was between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, that's just ridiculous. He said, come by my office uh, in a couple of days and uh, we'll talk. So we were I was talking to him and he picks up the phone and he calls a former student who is the superintendent of that school district. And he just said, I have, I have Babs Lee here, uh, who's an excellent student. And he just simply was singing my praises. He said, he said, do you have a opening anywhere in, so, in the social sciences? And he said, well, I have a, he had him on speaker. He said, uh, I have a position for seventh grade uh, history at, at Lanier. And he said, so Babs, Babs is coming down there to meet you. And he said, okay, Dr. Weedy, I guess I have my first black teacher. I went, started work in January and worked there. And then the superintendent of Seguin Independent School District called me at the end of the school term in 69 and says, uh, Barbara Lee, Miss Lee, uh, this is Jim Barnes. I want you to, could you come back to Seguin to be to teach at Seguin High School? And I said, why? And he says, it's time we did that. And I said, okay. And so I taught at Seguin High from 1969 until my husband got orders to, to be <coughs> transferred and, until 1977. And from there, I went to California and all other kinds of things happened. It's, it's a whole different ball game on the West Coast. So uh, they offered me a job uh, to do online because I was already in California because they needed somebody uh, of African-American uh, descent to be on their roster. And I refused. 
I did teach um, a semester there while I was still at, at, at uh, in Seguin at Seguin High. I taught a course in um, in ethnic studies. And a funny thing about that ethnic studies thing. This was nineteen. 70, 71 or 72. And by that time there were more um, black students on campus, but very few took the course and it was full of whites and Mexicans and whoever else was, was there. And the ones that were, were there, I would say, I mean, I'm doing the historical thing. I'm not making it up as I go along. And the black students would be almost as if, if they were ashamed of our history. That bothered me. So I, I, I didn't go back to, to do it again because I, I get real emotional about stuff. If you don't know your history, you are anesthetized by what you think is, is true uh, acculturation and matriculation into a, into a world that you think you're accepted in. And so you don't want you don't want them to know when you when you discuss the issue of, of slavery and how we got here and the things that our ancestors have gone through. My black students would say to me, "But it's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. No, it's just changed in terms of how it's presented. But it's just like that." And I, I'm, I'm about as open to change and caring and, and all of that kind of stuff, but I never forget who I am, no matter how many accolades uh, the, the majority society wants to give me, I'm still judged by the color of my skin. I can't get out of that. I can't assimilate that. In the big scheme of things, when you sit down at the table and you have an agenda, when you leave that table, how much of what you brought to the table has been agreed upon the way you wanted it to be agreed upon? And that, that's, when you say that, that's probably one of the things that I would say isn't, isn't satisfied. Yeah. When they say when when they would say out loud, and I was there for the graduation at, uh, at mid year, I, I believe you were there too, uh, Rihanna, right? Uh, when yes. they had the graduation, and they were making a statement. Um, one of the professors, it may have even been the president, um, uh, she said something like, "We love you. We're glad that you're that y'all are a part of our campus." Yeah. What does that mean? How did that make you feel? You were there, right? Yes. Um, at that point, I feel like it's it's just words because it's not really shown. Yeah. Um, that that's what I'm, I'm I'm thinking, and I've not lived on that campus. Uh, I've not been on that campus for any extended um, period of of time. I gave the keynote address. Uh, the year that um, uh, President Obama was inaugurated, I, I came to be the keynote speaker for the uh, for the MLK um, ceremony. But I don't see that much has changed in in terms of 
instruction and 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 even administratively be it's time to be the change agent not come with with your hat in your hand you know saying well okay we'll let you sit at the table and i think that's happened you know you sit at the table but are you making any progress as you sit at the table and what are you asking for so i don't see i don't see that happening now or maybe i just don't know that it's happening that those kinds of changes uh, are happening rashad has told me that you know bsu doesn't get their fair share of the money that is allocated to on-campus organizations. Am, am I correct, uh, your Vice President Rihanna, in, in, uh, did he miss misspeak or did I misunderstand? Um, no, um, he's pretty right. Um, we've had a struggle on certain, on during certain years getting um, money-wise, um, certain things will be an issue. And, uh, but yeah, he, he was right when he said that. And he tells me that your 138 presence, there are 138 of you, uh, the last time we spoke before this, this semester began on the campus, is that, has it increased over last year? Or do you know? 138 black students. I would say either it's about the same or it's a little bit lower because we've had a few people that didn't come back. Okay. To, um, some things uh, on campus, how they handled the COVID situation. So mm -hmm. we had some upperclassmen who decided not to return. I see. I think either it's about the same with the new freshmen or it's a little bit lower. So one of the things I would say though, is kind of like, kind of like Rayana touched on. Um, so every year they bring in, I would probably say, Rayana, correct me if I'm wrong, probably 98% of the black students that come in are athletes. Mm. And of course, they go, you know, maybe a semester of football and things don't go, you know, as expected, and then they end up leaving because there's nothing mm -hmm. to keep them here outside of that. There you go. The retention rate. Well, the, the people who come, fine. Yep. Uh, and I've always accused them, even when I was there, that I was there as their way to get more federal funds kind mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was their token to say, oh, we're integrated. We have this. We have yeah. that. But keeping people there should be the goal, don't you think? Mm hmm 100%. And you spend a lot of time on the athletic end. You're not spending enough time on the academic side. Mm -hmm. So you should be working on addressing the issue of retention. That should be an ask. What programs can be put in place seriously, not only for the person who's the athlete, and you say most of them are athletes, so if you want to ask the question that way, it just seems so disjointed to invite you in the house and then they don't feed you, if you follow my analogy. If I have you to my house uh, and say, come on over to my place. We're going to eat and we're going to play dominoes. We're going to do this and that. Then you come here and I give you a tuna fish sandwich and, and, a, and a, some Kool-Aid. You go, what the? I could have had that at home. So you go home. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm disturbed by that. And I've suspected it. And uh, Rashad and I have talked about it uh, briefly off and on, but that should be one of the speaking points when you sit at the table in terms of how many came in, how many are still there, and then look at the why of why, why they left. Yeah, you know, would they play football, basketball, that's entertainment and that makes money for the school. Mm -hmm. But what is the school giving back? Yeah, okay, so they're there on scholarship or this or, but the goal should be to have graduates. And so in our conversations, we should be addressing the, that issue with those young people who are there to say, what is it you need to happen. Nobody's going to give you an education. You have to want it and you have to say, I need help here. But the purpose of schooling, when you come to a small school and when you go from the, 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 the 1200 that was there and me, that's no ratio at all. No percentage. I'm not a mathematician, but I know that that's that's a drop in the bucket, but when you're 138 strong, that's that's a lot by comparison. And so more should be done because you have more cultural diversity. If you just come and go, then you, the numbers are always gonna be up and then they find somebody else to come and replace you. To what end? on the few occasions that I have been there and times that I've spent with Rashad and, and he has told me that sometimes when he's having that conversation with some of them, they're busy. Yeah. They're, they're busy with this and they're busy with that and they're busy. Yeah. You have to keep at it as John Lewis would say, make good trouble, just keep on doing it and keep on doing it. And, and voices in the wilderness will be heard, uh, mm. but you have to keep, and it has to be consistent. It has to be supported with facts. And you can't just say, well, this is bad and we want to change. Well, what kind of change do you want? And, and how do we go about it together? It's all about together now. I think that's the only, the only thing that will save us is that we do things together in earnesty uh, and we have conversation. And I was there the night that we were discussing the 15th Amendment. But as I looked around the room, I was a little disappointed that I didn't see more. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much it was publicized, but sometimes you, got to, you have to get your priorities straight. Mm -hmm. Unless you're in class or uh, something big is coming up, you make time. Yes. It wasn't gonna last all night. And so I have that feeling that, that somebody needs to light a fire under their behind. Uh, and mm -hmm. so perhaps uh, your advisor might have some some ideas of how to get more to the table, but it should be 
that should come from within. And, and so uh, that's why I'm a little disturbed that now you have more, but you have less. And there's a, there has to be a reason for that. And it would be up to you who are active to try to determine what that is and how to fix it how to improve it. You're never going to get 100% probably, but at least improve over last year or the year before. It's a building block to success. One of the things that, that I do know uh, is that honoring your ancestors, this generation needs to do better about stepping up in a respectful, prideful way and say, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. I want to work with you. But I, I invest a lot of time um, in, 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 in seniors because I think they're the forgotten generation. Everybody thinks when you get old, you get crazy and can't think. Um, you're feeble-minded and that's not true. Mm. But this generation um, needs to be up close and personal. Oh, I, I, I text you. Well, pick up the phone and call. The human factor that conquers it all. Just having conversations with them. They have a wealth of, of knowledge. It's just waiting to come out. But you have to be respectful. Oh, that old man don't know what he's talking about. Well, you just insulted him. Act like growing old is some kind of disease. You live long enough, you're going to get older. We're older than we were a minute ago. So that whole thing with age has got to be, that gap has got, got, has got to be uh, slowly closed or bridged where there is dialogue. You can learn from them and the struggles that they had in order to have what you have. Did your parents ever tell you about such and such and such when I, back in my day I had, and then you say, oh, I don't want to hear that. I know what you said. I don't want to hear that. That ain't relevant. How do you think you got there had it not been for their struggle? And even a bad parent or grandparents. I never knew my, my, my maternal grandmother or grandfather because they died before I was born. Uh, my paternal uh, grandmother, I remember family dinners. Every Sunday, everybody would gather at Nanny's house and we would sit and eat together. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And, and, and the funny thing is she'd leave biscuits on the back of the stove to see if they would disappear when the adults were talking up front. And they would disappear because it was a game she played with her to see who could steal the most biscuits. But, but there is wisdom in that, in, in that generation, two generations before you. How will you learn if you've never been taught? I say that all the time and seniors can do that. And I invested my, my retirement years uh, working with seniors and they get taken advantage of a whole bunch of times. They don't get out as much. 
take them to, to lunch when this whole COVID thing is, you know, if you know somebody, go buy or take them a donut, take them something to eat and say, tell me about when you were growing up. They enjoy those kinds of things and help them. Doctors take advantage of them. The system takes advantage of them. And just spend some time with them. That should be a, a focus of the BSU, is to spend some time with the older generation. You might learn something. And I think that young people today have a marvelous opportunity for growth and that you are in charge here pretty soon. You will be the, the Congress people and, and the pre president of the United States, the heads of corporation, leading schools, uh, leading colleges. This is your thing. Grab it, do something with it. But I'm joyful, I'm hopeful that you and anybody who's part of this podcast, anybody that will listen to what, what we said, maybe we'll give them food for thought. It's not what the way it used to be, but how much change has really occurred. Right, I'm proud of all of you. Uh, you, you, you show me something that I want to be connected um, to you. And uh, may the Lord continue to bless you. God loves you, and so do I. Yes, ma'am. All right, then. Yeah. Good night. Thank you for listening to Learning Boldly. Learning Boldly is produced by TLU alumni Nick Hayes and Adam Swinney. Music by Nature Boy. If you're interested in showing support for BSU or would like to contact us, please feel free to email learningboldly at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Learning Boldly. I asked him, you know, how he felt about race. And as we got into the conversation, he said, wait, before we have this conversation about race, I need to know, are you a Democrat or a Republican? And, and I was like, what? <laughs> he said, I need to know, are you a Democrat or a Republican before we start talking about race? Mm -hmm. So you, you want to know who I voted for while I'm trying to tell you about the problems I have being black. Correct. And he was like, in a better way of saying it, Yes, and I was like, what, what sense does that make if I've been black for 21 years and I don't get to vote on this? You know, why can't we just talk about us? And But he refused to have the talk because I didn't tell him if I was a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah. And so it really caught me because I just wanted to talk about us being humans. <laughs>